bright palette of colour. Life is full of these grey areas, it's not just black and white. An identity forming experience. You are listening to Eastside Radio Podcast with discussions and insights on art, politics, music and more here on eastsidefm.org. If you are still seated, I'd be very surprised. City. Hi there and welcome to another F of Take One Backstage. I'm your host Melanie C and it's been a while I know. A lot's happened since we last spoke but there's so many more great interviews to come. I've got a few in the can and I'm really excited to share them with you starting off with my chat this time around with Sydney-based artist Michael Miko. If you're here this in time, make sure to go and catch him live on the 16th of September at the Cronella RSL. It was a really insightful chat and Michael opened up a lot about what it's like to be a young dad and a musician starting out. He's really unlike a lot of musers out there, just starting out um, quite young with no pressure coming from having to feed multiple mouths whilst trying to establish yourself as an artist. He's also had the unique experience of finding international success extremely quickly in a collaborative sense with King Arthur. Arthur, popular in the EDM world, um, which we talk a little bit a little bit about in the show, but then needing to take a few steps back to build up his own solo audience. I hope you get as much as I did out of this chat and that you also go and check out his work, which I've linked in the description. Don't forget too that we've got Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, that's at Take1FM. We're also on iTunes and it's really important for you to go out there and subscribe as well as comment to make sure the word is getting spread around about Take1 Backstage. Um, you can also tune in to for the live version of this show that's take one on 89.7 fm and you can also stream the show via eastsidefm.org forward slash take one that's enough from me and like i said there's more to come but for now let's enjoy my chat with michael miko is a testament to all the independent artists out there working their backsides off to make it in this industry. From humble beginnings based in the southern parts of Sydney, working as a vocal teacher, to international acclaim in the EDM music space with King Arthur, this artist is enjoying a career trajectory most people would dream of. Now taking a moment to develop his own sound further within the contemporary soul genre, Michael Miko is here to chat about the release of his own original music being celebrated at the Cronulla RSL on the 16th of September. Hi, Michael, and welcome to the show. Hey, Mel. Thanks for having me on. No worries at all. I know you've got a hectic weekend ahead, but I really do appreciate you taking the time to chat. (laughs) No problem at all. Really excited to be on. Amazing. And you're an artist who is really just going through the motions of creating not only a groundswell of support, but even finding your own sound. And I really wanted to kind of take a step right back to the start of it to get a bit of an idea of where you've come from and where your love of music has started. And that's pretty much my first question. How did your relationship with music start? Yeah, wow. Okay. Um, that's that's a big one. <laughs> um, so let's see. Um I was around 13, 14 when I actually started getting like singing lessons properly at school. Um, before that, um, I think our family was always really exposed to music uh, from a variety of different sources. My mum and dad were both huge fans of music, like culturally in their kind of growing up phases. And, you know, we really got exposed to different artists like, um, I suppose, from... Uh, 
uh, like the Temptations, the Queen, to like I always joke with my friends that us kids were pretty much raised on the Dirty Dancing soundtrack. Um, <laughs> that's just embedded in my mind. And like I don't know if you know that old BBC show Heart uh, Heartbeat. No, I'm not uh, sure of that one. Kind of like old sixties rock and roll in the tracks there, like you know, good, nice, dirty organ sounds with plenty of beat and cool guitar lines. So yeah, that's kind of running in the backdrop of a lot of different musical pursuits even these days so yeah that's yeah a variety of sources for sure that's awesome and you're a singer songwriter pianist and vocalist how did you then start moving from um, just vocals into more playing piano and also writing your own music yeah great question um so in terms of moving uh into piano a lot of people don't know i actually started playing piano before i started singing oh cool um so it was like old school school band uh, when I was about nine, um, and I think from memory that the, because there was two piano players in the school band, and I think a couple of the horn um, members left the band, so I was given a lot of the horn charts. Oh. <laughs> so I played like old school synth keyboard patches, um, <laughs> baritone parts. I think from memory, um, and that was kind of my introduction to uh, the music world. Just. Uh, just learning parts that I probably shouldn't have been learning. Um, but yeah, and then I ended up um, uh, doing jazz with my local piano <laughs> tutor who was like really old and really kind of steeped in the, in the big band um, modality of playing keys. And I learned a lot uh, in, in a theory and a practical sense from that guy. He was a great teacher. Um, and kind of opened my mind up to, to different possibilities. And yeah, it kind of all started there. And, and um, I... What did I do? Around around like the, the 13, 14 uh, year time period, um, I I distinctly remember going to uh, a church with a friend and they had this band playing. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, it's the first time I really experienced singing and, and music in like a um, like face-to-face small, small, I suppose, small performance environment where I was like, whoa, these these kids, because they were like, I don't know, they must have been like 17 or 16, um, were playing music in front of me. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm like maybe five feet away from these dudes who were making sounds with their voices. And I was loving it. I was like, oh wow, a whole new level of practicality. So yeah, I think that was a huge uh, initial motivator for me, for sure. That's amazing. I love how you just talked about how a live music experience really shaped your approach to music and your love of music. I just think that's such an important message for anyone out there, especially if they're learning music, trying to make a musician of themselves, like seeing music intimately, up close and personal, live in the moment is just such a valuable learning experience that, I mean, has paid off in in your circumstance and it's amazing to hear. Oh, thanks. I, honestly, Mel, I couldn't agree more with that concept. I think that, um, unfortunately, it, it's it's very much a dying paradigm and mm. something that I hope my, my own kids, like, in as much as I'm uh, able to enforce it on them, I'd love for them to experience it, no matter what they do with that experience, um, at, at the appropriate time in their own lives and their own development, just to, just to kind of get a taste of that medium. And I think it's something that you know, I, I really... I wish more more kids would get the uh, the I suppose the, the chance or the the opportunity to experience themselves. So yeah, definitely couldn't agree more. Mm. And I mean, you also have a history of working alongside a lot of young students. You started off um, being a vocal teacher um, at, in high schools, and then yep. also moved into being a speech pathologist. And I yep. wondered what then um, kind of took you I guess it's sort of a detour I guess um, looking at your career as a whole so far um, going from a performance perspective to more a teaching role why did you pick up teaching? Yeah that's a, that's a really good one um, I suppose the trajectory I went on in my learning um, while I was teaching singing um, I was studying my I finished my Bachelor of Music and um, I was kind of getting into teaching kids to sing so just young kids at a music school so separate separate from a high school just a private tuition center um and at that point in time i was really fascinated with the anatomy and physiology associated with singing mm-hmm. um and a lot of i ended up doing my master of music as i said and during my excuse me my thesis i um i was going through a lot of literature about um 
how the larynx works and how um, how the voice works, essentially, in, in a singing context. And a lot of this research was contributed by speech pathologists. Mm. So getting to the bottom of it, I was like, wow, I'm, I'm really going to have to be a speech pathologist if I'm going to make any kind of contribution over and above that of a singing teacher. So in the midst of all this time, um, my teaching kind of looks like me being involved with high school students on some level, but because of the research I was getting into and what I had access to, I was starting to deal with students that had been to a bunch of different singing teachers but hadn't really had the answers they were looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was kind of applying clinical research to my singing teaching, um, which it got me, yeah, it got me in circulation in a few different places that was really advantageous and I was able to make uh, a difference to a lot of singers' lives and and, uh, careers and vocations as singers. So, yeah, I, um, yeah, in terms of falling into teaching, I got multiple opportunities because of the research I did, yeah. That's incredible to hear, and I'm sure as well, not only that you were able to teach other students about the correct uh, methods of singing, because I I do understand there's a lot of times where... kids might start out learning singing and then not quite totally understand, you know, the, the proper breathing methods, um, making sure that they're supporting themselves while singing and then can kind of those problems can go on for a long time. And then having someone experienced like you to sort of come in and say, you know, this is the way to sing and this is the way to support yourself would make such a difference. But even for your own um, upkeep of your vocals, making sure you can perform day in, day out, that kind of thing, I'm sure it must help you as well. Yeah, definitely. Um <laughs> Even even being able to apply a clinical critique to yourself, uh, if you look at your own workload or if you observe your voice uh, in a certain way or if you're preparing for, I don't know, a massive gig or a massive show um, and you, for me, I suppose speaking from my own experience, um, I, I track my own muscle memory or my own output and I go, am I doing this? The best way am I? Am I? I always, I constantly ask myself, you know, am I setting myself up for habits that are going to mean I'm going to be able to do this all the time, or am I playing the short game? Am I, am I taking shortcuts, and is that going to uh, detract from my performance or my ability as a singer? So, yeah, it's definitely um, <laughs> whether whether or not it's a benefit or a curse mentally, it's, uh, <laughs> it's definitely a thing. It's there. <laughs> mm, I can totally understand. And then um, moving from um, that kind of world, which you're still a part of, but nowadays it seems like you're putting a lot more of a focus on the artist side of being in the music industry. What made it feel like now is the right time to start thinking about your own musical career? Mm, um, in terms of right time, I don't know if I can answer that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as far as now being the time that I'm focusing on it, some people would say it's, it's not the right time uh, because I've I've got two kids and uh, I've I've got a super busy life in terms of the the different pies I've got my fingers in. But for whatever reason, now um, I've come to a point in my writing and in, in my involvement with different people, um, uh, whether it be producers or musicians, where I've just had access to a whole bunch of opportunities to make great music. And I think that were I to say, were I to use excuses and say, oh, because of these reasons, it's probably not a good time or it's not ideal, then I'd never get the chance to to make music. But I'm fortunate enough to have a really supportive family and an amazing wife who um, we constantly talk this kind of thing over. And we, we really want our kids to watch us grow up doing the things we really care about. And I think that no matter the cost or no matter... Um, what we have to do to get us there, that's something we're committed to. Um, and for me, for me, that looks like music right now. And as I said, I've had some great opportunities and um, I think my analysis of those opportunities has led me to the point that I'm at. So um, uh, off the back of some work I've done uh, with an, uh, an artist and a producer called King Arthur um, and getting some opportunities to work with different musicians now on my own stuff, um, I would... I would kind of be stupid to walk away from some of the good things that are happening now. So, I, yeah, I take it very seriously and I'm looking at furthering that uh, as long as I possibly can. That's amazing to hear. It's like it's irrespective of the timing, it, it just happened to be that it, at this point in time of your music career, there's just a whole lot of opportunities there and you're willing to kind of grab it by the horns and, and really go for it. I'm, we talked a little bit before um, we started the interview about how 
I would say gruelling your um, approach to <laughs> music is. Can you tell me uh, again about um, how kind of early you start and what that actually looks like from a day-to-day basis? Yeah, sure. No worries. Um, so my day starts at 4.30. Um, <laughs> so I get up at 4.30, uh, leave the house and go to my practice rooms. And I will practice for between an hour and two hours. Um, I'll fit some, uh, some gym work in either before or after that. And this is usually all done before the sun comes up. Um, and that way I've got a dose of my practice or my recording or whatever it is I need to do today or do that day rather um, with, with what I'm working on. And I've got that in before the day gets ahead on me and I can't keep up. Mm. So um, that means that if I've got something coming up, whether it's a rehearsal or a gig or whatever, I've done the groundwork and the hard work um, when I need to have it done before everything else. So I'm kind of not stressing about the the hours, if that makes sense. Mm. So I think one thing that a lot of um, maybe people that aren't familiar with the music industry think of when they look at musicians is the... Uh, the glamour and the glory of kind of being on stage and, you know, playing your tunes or even being played on the radio and you don't think about um, the constant attention to detail that has to go in and that often translates in um, applied hours. So just literally working on your craft or or practising the work that you already have done on your craft um, in almost a religious sense. Yeah. So um, for me, the best way I can do that now with, with the life I've got and the different things I'm a part of is just to get up early and to get it done um, and to do what I need to do to, to make the songs or to better myself or to make sure the rehearsal goes according to plan or to make sure the gig's as great as it can be. So, yeah, I, I think that's the, the best way I can do it at the moment. Yeah, and I wonder too, it's funny you mentioned that because I've got a couple of uh, friends who have just become young dads as well and they oh, talked cool. about um, their, uh, I guess, perception of time after they had kids of how valuable it is and how much they try and take advantage of it because they don't have as much anymore having to look after um, one child or in your case two um, particularly who are quite young I, I would think that that's also like quite a driving um, force for you to really just make the time and wake up in the morning don't hit the snooze button and go and practice yeah absolutely um I think by extension as well, it's also reinforcement to go to bed early. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like my, my wife and I are usually in bed at the moment. We're such nanas. We're in bed by about 8.30 on average. Um, and yeah, absolutely. Because because music's, uh, music is such a big part of our lives. But I reckon at the time my, you know, my, my kids are at in terms of their own development, there's so much gold in the time I get to spend with them. And you know, coming home from, from what I do during the day, um, and seeing my daughter run up to me when I open the door and getting like getting an hour of solid play and muck around and um, just hearing what she has to say about her favourite shows or her favourite toys or, or whatever. Um, and then, you know, spending a bit of time with my son who doesn't talk yet. Um, <laughs> it, it's just super valuable and it's, it's got limitations around it. Like mm. there's, only, um, there's only so much opportunity during a day I get for that. So... To balance all these things that are so valuable and important uh, in my life at the moment, it's a huge motivator to get out and get it done early, for sure. Mm. And in that time that you're, you know, at the crack of dawn practicing your music, you must be then refining your sound. And I wonder how it is you um, went about finding your place. I mean, I'm calling it in the contemporary soul kind of genre, but I'm sure that there's so much more going into it. Interestingly, um, after you mentioned that you had not only um, like pop music experience, but also in jazz, I wonder, yeah, what? how do you see your sound and how did you develop it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, in terms of development, I feel like it, it's still developing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I think contemporary soul is a fairly accurate label. Like I really... I got my start, um, I suppose, in terms of the sound I'm up to right now, listening to Stevie Wonder when I was around 14, 15. And I still think Stevie is a cornerstone of of everything I believe in musically. Mm. Um, uh, As far as my development, there's a bunch of artists that have uh, influenced the directions that I go in now when I'm writing or when I think about what I want to say with a song. Um, so yeah, I think getting my development 
in that sense, looking at, at genres and artists who do different things, um, it's still going. But um, in the jazz world as well, I think that that opened me up to, in many ways, some of the progressions and the the elements uh, and the expression that they use in soul music. Uh, even even walking into um, that within a snapshot of time, like Motown and, uh, and some of the different signatures, both. Uh, in, in the way beats are made and the way chord progressions are used and the way the instrumentation and the arrangement is is uh, expressed with a lot of the big Motown tracks that you'd know if you heard. Mm. Um, I think that's really contributed to the idea of potentially um, uh, controversial term, sound branding, mm-hmm. uh, where you kind of look at the sound that you make and what that says about the type of music that you're making. Um I think that, yeah, that, that's a huge thing, just kind of thinking about who you want to be and what you want to sound like and, you know, the fact that when it comes to songwriting, you really are what you eat. So um, what, what you're letting in into your writing influences. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's still an ongoing thing for me, but I've, I've definitely got some fundamentals in, in where I've come from for sure. Mm. And looking at what you've released so far, you've got four tracks uh, out at the moment that I'm sure have been slaved over and handpicked. Um, but one yep. in particular I'd really love to know a little bit more about is My Life is a Train. Now, uh, yeah, this track seems very observational. It talks about really the experience of the everyday person, you know, nine to five work days, city living, etc. And I really like how relatable that is as a concept. And I wonder if you were really conscious about that when you were writing the song. Yeah. Now, a bit of bit of background. So that's actually my favorite. I'd say it's my favorite track out of the four I've, I've put up on SoundCloud for listening privileges. Um, but it's funny. I'm the only other person who said that is um, King Arthur's producer when I sent it to him. Um, sorry, King Arthur's manager. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's it's for me. It's um, it's quite a vulnerable track talking about um, how often. You will, you will commit yourself day in, day out to something um, thinking that you'll get an outcome, but there's so many unpredictable uh, variables to factor in that you often don't know if your trajectory is going to be delayed, <laughs> much like mm. the train timetable, um, <laughs> or if you are going to end up in a different destination. So, yeah, I think... Um, inherent within the message or the the ideas that the song explores is this concept of monotony and how that um how that kind of factors into these big ticket questions like purpose and meaning and life and all that kind of thing um as well as uh destination and goals and how that all mixes together in uh in a a time of unknown or unpredictability or um straight up disappointment mm. <laughs> so yeah it's, i suppose it's a commentary on those things yeah yeah and i'm a, i'm thinking maybe that was something you were potentially experiencing at the time that contributed to the song oh sure yeah absolutely for sure um in terms of uh the elements that i from my own experience uh i'd say the journey of going from uh studying music and having dreams around that then getting interested in speech pathology and then that may be looking a little bit different to what I thought it looked like um, and I say that because the songs evolved in content over over a few years that I've been writing it um, and yeah so I think that in, in terms of my own experience um, to, to nail on one element I was working in speech pathology in a, a public setting and then a private setting and my, my niche area uh, working in uh, vocal, ana- uh, vocal uh, anatomy and physiology in a therapeutic sense, um, it took a lot of work and it cost me a lot of time commitment uh, over and above what you'd be doing for uh, a normal speech pathology job in terms of the amount of hours I was driving all over Sydney. And yeah, it was, it was pretty hard. And, I, you know, we were really kind of spinning our wheels and I say we, talking about my family, um, thinking about what the next step was. And I articulate a lot of my frustration uh, in the song because it wasn't really anyone's fault, but I just arrived in this place where I was burning time and energy and effort um, and not really moving forward. It was kind of like I was just in this loop of um, 
of not getting where I wanted to go and not helping the people that I wanted to help um, and not getting the opportunities I was looking for. So, yeah, does that answer your question? Yes, it does. And I love how much detail you went into it as well. I feel like that has got to be such a relatable experience um, for a lot of people. I mean, I can relate to it in a slightly different way, just in terms of um, at my out my stage in life, um, just completing a uni degree, um, mm. finding my first ever job. But in that whole kind of three and a half year period, not being sure, like, is this the right way to go? Um, how many hours I had to put into it, the internship that I had to do on top of all that plus work Mm. two jobs like trying to just fingers crossed hope that something is going to work out and it's slowly turning around I'm really happy sort of where things are going but I that's what I mean by about this song being so relatable and yes you just went through your own personal experience of that what um, contributed to the song um, coming about but I think the lyrics as well can uh, are in that vein of being quite universal to a lot of people and Mm. I I just think that's such a a great really important thing important part of songwriting um, in terms of uh, appeal which is actually really interesting because it sort of leads me on to my next question in terms of thinking about appeal Um, when you were creating the soundscape um, behind the the lyrics you can clearly hear elements of um, your soul influence coming through but there's also a really healthy mix of pop in there too with things like a really catchy chorus full of hooks and that and for me it reminded me of early Ry, uh, Ry Thistlethwaite's um, solo work oh, cool. as well as like early James Morrison or Lucas Graham. But like that being said, it is a five minute long track. And I, I just wondered yourself, like, where do you see your music living? Like, have you, are you at all concerned about the need to be uh, radio friendly or has that just disappeared with the success of things like SoundCloud and Spotify? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. I reckon that's super pertinent for heaps of artists at the moment. Mm. Um, the idea of, of questioning those kind of norms or, or completely agreeing with them and reinforcing them. Um, for me, I feel like where I'm at, I'm not beyond change. Mm. <laughs> so in terms of my, uh, for example, my life as a train being about five minutes long, I reckon if I were to re-record or, or remix or, or edit that again for the purpose of being radio friendly, I wouldn't be adverse to that. I, I think that's fine. Um, but I, I know artists that would be very much against that idea. Mm. So I think I think it depends on the development of my own career and, and different stakeholders. Uh, at this point in time, I have, I have really no problem uh, with my art or my creation taking whatever step it needs to take from the intrinsic value I'm trying to create. So... Uh, with the nature of that song and the sections and what I wanted to portray um, in in the given time period, I just think I needed five minutes to say everything I wanted to say, mm. um, both lyrically and non-lyrically. Um, so in terms of how that re- relates to, to Spotify and to um, the way people are consuming music at the moment, I... <laughs> It's tough because I think um, even the the format of the album is being called into question at the moment. Like a lot of people, um, I, I can at least say this from a, from an EDM perspective, don't even listen to whole songs anymore. Mm. They just fast forward to literally before the drop, and they listen. All right, this is pre-drop, post-drop. Whoa, that's massive! Like kind of thing. That's mm. that's that's literally a, a lot of the the perspective that. Um, that consumers go into um, when they when they listen to certain tracks. And that's by no means all all listeners of music, but yeah, these are the kind of ideas that are in circulation at the moment. So uh, to, to land the idea myself, I, I don't really have a strong opinion. I reckon that if your art takes the shape of uh, a minute and thirty seconds or six minutes forty five. I reckon you've got to let it be what it is. And I think if you're going to jo- go on the journey of, of what the artist intended, then at some point you're going to have to take the art for, for what they've expressed it as. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's no, no hard and fast answer for that one, unfortunately. <laughs> That's totally fine. We don't. I, I feel like we should step away from the need to have yes or no answers to <laughs> questions. It, the point is to expand and think about it and, and look at it from a reality perspective rather than something that's black and white and wouldn't even mm-hmm. work, you know, in, in today. 
Um, and actually, interesting that you mentioned as well, like your work with um, King Arthur and the EDM kind of scene. I wanted to take a, a little bit of a detour only because I'm kind of interested in the change in your um, creative process to becoming a little bit more collaborative um, from yeah. the work that you're doing right now. How did that relationship start with you two? <laughs> well, um, it's funny because it started uh, very much in that vein of thinking. The idea that... Um, <laughs> that EDM has uh, a whole bunch of big soul-oriented voices um, in, its, uh, in, in its presentation today. So this was an argument that King Arthur made to me when I first met him. <laughs> um, he, at the time, was dating one of my wife's best, best friends and he was staying on our couch when he visited Australia. Right. So, yeah, it was, it was like, um, this was a few years back now. Um, and we, we had a conversation that pretty much, pretty much went all night um, about music, about um, his philosophy and uh, the way that he writes music and his goals, I suppose, for his own career. Um, and that was amazing because it was really cool to, to talk to someone from a completely different reference point to my own, um, different school of thought when it comes to making music, different, different everything. And I think um, to this day that really enriches my friendship with King Arthur and, um, and I suppose uh, my own experience of making music because that's, that's a huge um, advantage to me to see someone's different perspective. Um, and it can either challenge your own viewpoint or strengthen it. Um, mm. So I think those conversations early on, um, they kind of started the ball rolling for our writing process because I was like, yeah, cool, like, You've you shown me some examples of, of tracks where these, these dudes definitely come from maybe a similar school of music or school of thinking about music that I've come from. And yeah, they've, they've made some, some impressive tracks. Um, so yeah, I, I'm open to that kind of thing. Um, and I suppose the rest is history in terms of some of the music we've made. So yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting that you talk about that you started off kind of uh, not in conflict, but like uh, kind of bringing a get, a together those two ideas of the two two musical worlds and how they live together. Because, the, like you said, there are plenty of examples of that. And I wondered then how that played out in the studio because across the two singles that you've released, I definitely think that that's a strong element: the meeting of soul with uh, your kind of influence with the EDM sound from King Arthur. So, how did you balance that? Yeah, great question. Um, what a lot of people don't know is um, King Arthur and I collaborated um, uh, internationally <laughs> in the true sense of the word, word in this, um, because he was in Europe, between Europe and Britain um, and the States uh, during the times we were writing that. And I was just recording in my home studio. So we'd be going back and forth collaborating that way. Um and literally, it'd be drafts upon drafts upon drafts where we Skype and talk about different things. Could we put this here? Does this bit really need a harmony? Could I re-record a piano part? Um, is this bit too long kind of thing? So in terms of time efficiency, super inefficient, but we got the job done because um, we're working in different time zones, all that kind of jazz. I was fortunate enough to have a day off midweek just to focus on all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, so that helped a lot. But yeah, it was... Um, <laughs> It was kind of difficult in terms of how it played out in the studio, uh, from, mainly from a practical point of view, just because working in different time zones, we, we didn't meet up in the same country super regularly, although it did happen uh, a few times just to get some stuff sorted out. But yeah, no, it was, um, it was hard work. It was, um, yeah, but you know, King Arthur's a really driven, um, he's got a great mix of being super driven and super confident but also being really approachable and happy to discuss different ideas. So I think that that made it easier, like having a really kind of open forum to communicate my ideas. Um, and he was really forthcoming with, with different things that he thought. So, yeah, I think that um, the mix of all that, even though it was difficult, different time zones, different places, um, he's, yeah, he's really, really great experience recording with, with Tofa. Yeah, he's a good bloke. 
Oh, that's awesome. And actually looking a little bit closer into um, one of those particular releases. So you've got Praise You and Belong to the Rhythm as the two main singles that you've released. Um, but And I think it's kind of interesting that you've gone with one original piece and then one cover. And the cover in particular, um, Praise You, being made famous by Fatboy Slim and sampling the work of Camille Yarberg's Take Your Praise. I wonder, like that song itself was so popular in the um, kind of electronic music scene of its day. How did you then go about changing it and making it your own for a 20, 2017 EDM scene? <laughs> this is actually hilarious because um, <laughs> I was I was really in the dark about this at first, uh, not not maliciously so. Uh, King Arthur contacted me and said, hey man, I reckon you'd be really good to record a cover for just our own representation, like when we're pitching stuff to labels. I'm like, yeah man, no, no worries, that sounds, that sounds like a great idea. At that time, we already signed um, along to the rhythm to Spinning Records uh, in Amsterdam, and <laughs> he was like, "Let's do Praise You. Praise You would, would be awesome. Um, everyone loves it." I'm like, "Okay, cool. Yeah, I can sing that, uh, and I can record the piano parts. No worries." So I did that, and I sent it across, thinking he's going to mix it. It's going to be fine. I'll hear it on some sort of like uh, comp- excuse me compilation of our of our music together. Anyway, what I found out uh, maybe a couple of weeks later is that version was sent to Fatboy Slim, um, or, <laughs> or he heard it somehow. Oh my um, god! And he, yeah, and he, he gave the big tick, and he was like, "Yeah, no worries. Like this sounds good. I'm happy for you to release it as a cover." Now, um, bits and pieces. Apparently, the label had been trying to pitch a cover to Fatboy Slim for years, and he was turning <laughs> them down. He was like, "Nah, don't really like it." And when when Topher contacted me, he was just like. Hey man, you have no idea how good this is. <laughs> like he's just said, I really like you covered. I'd be happy for you to release it. Oh so, my god! I was like, no, I didn't even what you sent. You sent my song to Fatboy Slim. Like <laughs> what? <laughs> so this was this was huge in terms of like the the um, the reappropriation for a modern EDM scene. That was the furthest thing from my mind. I had no idea we were even doing that. So um, all the credit, I suppose, in terms of the mixing and the the finger on the pulse of what EDM listeners were looking for, that all goes to King Arthur. I was just recording the parts. <laughs> That's incredible. I can't believe that he managed to keep that under wraps the entire yeah. time. And yeah. also that you produce something without even not like understanding the whole story. Yep, yep. <laughs> it's just amazing. And I mean, you've had so much success with uh, those two tracks. I mean, looking back at Belong to the Rhythm, it had in its first 24 hours of release on YouTube over 100,000 views, which is just phenomenal. Did you expect that kind of res- uh, response from audiences? <laughs> no, in, in short. <laughs> um, there's a funny story attached to this too. <laughs> so now, I, I didn't know the scope of King Arthur's involvement in... Um, in the dance world when I met the dude. I just thought he was a, a DJ slash producer from the US. And I was like, yeah, man, I'm happy to work with you. I don't have any contacts in the US musically. So sure, no worries. I recorded Belong to the Rhythm in a very short amount of time in my home setup, which is by no, by no means elaborate. It was even less elaborate at the time. He's like, thanks, man. This is awesome. He, he did some mixing and um, sent me back the track all mixed up. And I was like, oh, this, this is great, man. Really like it. Like, it's cool. Like, it is what it is. I think it was a week later. This is around New Year's. Um, and I can't even remember the year. It was a couple, three years ago. Something like that. Um, he sent me a clip of him playing it in Canada at his New Year's DJ gig in front of 7,000 people. And I was like, I, I had to double take. I'm like, hang on, what? Who are you again? Like, this, I just thought you were like a friend of a friend and we, we you know, hung out and got on. So I agreed to work with you and... You're a cool guy, but whoa, you got pulled. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so yeah, I had to like I had to re Google King Arthur <laughs> and be like, Oh, okay, right. Sure. So yeah, l- learn <laughs> if you're listening and you're just getting into working with other people, you should probably find out who they are <laughs> before you work with them. But in, on this occasion it, it landed really well and King Arthur's the top guy, but yeah, I was completely blown away and I had no concept of the potential reaction that, yeah, (laughs) that could have occurred after making this kind of music, yeah. 
Oh, that's amazing. I mean, what kind of like, it's a, such an amazing surprise to have. I mean, to, for it to go so well. I mean, you, you went back to it as well, producing that second single, Praise You. And it's just, it sounds like it's a musical co- collaboration that will, fingers crossed, continue to hear even more of your collaborations coming through. <laughs> yeah, I can't say too much about that, but there, um, that we've definitely done some more work. Um, King Arthur is on a great wicket with his tours at the moment. He's absolutely killing it. And I've got nothing but applause for that dude. He's just, he's worked so hard and he's doing really well. Um, and that's kind of this, this phase of his life at the moment. Um, he's doing some amazing tours. I think he's in Asia at the moment. Um, but yeah, we've, we've got some stuff that we have worked on. Uh, don't know and probably can't really comment too much on the outcome there. But yeah, it's definitely a continuing relationship uh, in in various capacities, for sure. Oh, that's amazing. Well, fingers crossed you come back to me with the exclusive when it gets uh, <laughs> dropped and, and gets out there. But I mean, that's awesome to hear. And actually, speaking of touring, you're, of course, uh, performing live at the Cronulla RSL on the 16th of September with your own music. And I wondered yeah. what it's been like as well, kind of coming back to managing your own band, booking your own gigs, writing the music, doing it all independently. Yeah. Yeah. Um. <laughs> It's funny. It, it, you definitely exist in two worlds. Um, <laughs> so uh, for this particular gig, it's in conjunction with uh, a uh, an organisation slash business called Bucket Lounge, mm-hmm. uh, and they are a Sydney uh, Sydney local multi venue project that just uh, champion the cause of original artists. I've done a few gigs with um, with different artists who performed in association with Bucket Lounge. Uh, and I was approached to do the Cronulla RSL gig. Um, oh, I was asked a few months ago, actually. Um, so yeah, I was uh, more than happy to say yes and, and to play these songs um, live with musicians that I, I really get on with and um, I have a lot of respect for, actually, as musicians and as people. So I think in that sense, um, doing it all myself uh, in as much as I'm in control of the people I'm expressing music with and rehearsing with and um, I'm in control of the musical decisions, it's really cool because um, there's a lot of kind of low ambiguity and high reward. Um, I'm having some great times with my friends, really, and uh, there's not pressure on me to get a certain amount of people to listen or to, to even attend. This is kind of like a really freeing experience where I... I just rock up and, and play music that's meaningful to me. And if you want to come, you come. And if you don't, I don't care. <laughs> and, and, and you don't have to care. You don't have to come if you don't want to. Um, so it's a real kind of hands-off, no-pressure scenario. And there's a lot about the situation I really agree with and um, is, I suppose, to summarise, really good for me and for my own musical process. So, yeah. Oh, that's amazing to hear that you can find a a little slice of um, freeing creativity because I feel like with a lot of the artists that I've spoken with, they do feel a bit bogged down by the admin, the booking, the um, just the the promotion side, the management of trying to be an an independent artist. But in this uh, example, you've managed to still be having to do that, but not as involved and also finding more time to be creative most and first and foremost yeah um <laughs> yeah and i think i think that uh, i suppose the, the, one of the key differences myself um to many of the artists i speak to who work their i don't know work their behinds off day in day out um just to book the right gig to get the right attention and Honestly, it's a real inspiration some of the artists that give their lives to be in the right place, right time, making the right music um, and just show up for every opportunity. But I think I think one of the positions, uh, as I said, or one of the ideas that differentiates me is the fact that I am involved in a bunch of different things and, and I do have to... I do have to eliminate certain things that, that aren't beneficial. So mm. I think uh, maybe one of the downsides of that is I can't be present at every opportunity. I have to be uh, discriminatory um, and only take certain opportunities on. So I think within that, I've made the goal making music as long as I possibly can um, as, I suppose, my main focus. Mm. Um, if, if I don't get 
the dream record deal that sets me up in a mansion in LA, then that's okay. Um, if I am able to continue playing music for people and keep my life running and keep my family happy and keep food on the table uh, and keep making art, then I think that's going to be the definition of happiness for me there. Wow, that's amazing. I, I feel like there's a lot of artists that don't aren't really at that place yet in their career, even if they've been going for a very long time or just started out. It seems like there's a lot of hustle you have to do. You know, you can kind of get caught up in all of that um, kind of busy kind of madness of, of trying to make it. But at the same time, you've, you've not stepped back from wanting to go after your dream. You're just trying to work smarter rather than, rather than harder at making sure your dream happens. Oh, thank you. That's a very generous <laughs> definition. But I, I just I feel like literally I, I have no choice. Um, yeah. And I think that that's the my expression of, of uh, where I'm up to is is the best uh, possible interpretation of my situation I can make. So look, and I have I have great respect for um, for artists that are embracing the hustle, as you put it, and and um, engaging with that pressure because it is hard. Like it takes blood, sweat and tears to do music exclusively of every other, of, of any other pursuit. Mm. Um, and it's hard. Like don't let anyone tell you it's not. Um, so yeah, I think that in terms of my own situation in my own context, I'm just putting the best possible face on the cards that I've been dealt uh, and that's what I wouldn't call that a negative thing at all. I think that I have, I have so much to be grateful for and so much that I, I can pursue and I can go after. Um, I'm just kind of waving goodbye to the possible downsides, I suppose. <laughs> mm, mm. Which, I mean, who, who wouldn't want to try and ditch some downsides for even more upsides? <laughs> yeah, 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 I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And of course, again, this is happening all on the 16th of September at the Cronulla RSL. You'll be performing live some fantastic original music. And before I let you go, I have one final question, which is who are three artists that we should know about? Awesome. Okay. Wow. Um, the first one I'm going to mention is oh, probably the most well-known of the three. He's an artist from the state called Alan Stone. Yeah, um, love him. I am, yeah, I'm just completely in love with uh, Mr. Stone's work. I've seen him live in Sydney, and um, yeah, did not disappoint. He was friggin' fantastic. Um, his keys player Steve Swatkin is the man. Uh, he's honestly like, in terms of his his note choices and his soloing skills, and just. All around musicality, um, super impressive, and yeah, absolutely the man. I love, uh, I love Alan himself. Uh, his songwriting, his vocal tone. He's com- been compared to Bill Withers and Stevie Wonder at such an early age, and he's, um, yeah, he's embodiment of a great songwriter. Really love him. Um, uh, yeah, his album Radius is a, is a great example of, I suppose, um, his modern appropriation of soul music. I love mm-hmm. it. Really good. Um, the second artist is slightly less well-known, uh, also connected to Alan Stone. Um, some, some massive Alan Stone fans might already know Tingsek. He is just incredible. He's, I, think, uh, I think he's pushing 40 and he's been doing this for such a long time. And I think that in itself is a huge inspiration. If you, if you look on YouTube uh, at the, um, the video clip for Changes Part 2, uh, it's just got this great catalogue of, of the live shows he's played and just the, uh, um, even like as a, as a gear nut, just looking at all the different the different uh, examples of great down making equipment equipment he's got on stage, it's just inspiring. Like, oh, goodness, man, he's surrounded by so much good gear. Um, but he writes great music. He um, he definitely uh, challenges some of my pop sensibilities about soul music, and I like that. I like that in a modern artist who's not really really left the field like um, different different genre, but like your Radiohead and what they've done for, um, I suppose, their expression of music at the time and how they've pushed the envelope a little bit. I feel like King Stack's a little bit like that for, for soul music or, or, or whatever you want to, whatever label you want to put on it today. Um, and his album, and I'm going to pronounce this incorrectly, it, it's spelled A-M-Y-D-A-L-A, Amidala. I 
or Indigo, I don't know, I'm not sure. But either way, it's really great, and I thoroughly recommend it. Um, the last one, I'm almost definitely going to mispronounce, but he's a Sydney artist who I've kind of seen grow over the, like, the Facebook and the YouTube mediums um, of just, like, releasing short videos of his art. Um, I'm, I'm calling him Maxwell, but it's M-X-X-W-L-L. Yeah, I've seen him as well. I'm pretty sure it's Maxwell. Sorry? I'm pretty sure it is Maxwell. Okay, I thought this, but I'm like, I don't want to... Yeah, I don't want to mispronounce this. Anyway, he's a Sydney dude who's on Triple J on Earth as well. He just dropped Beats Volume 1. Um, <laughs> and just his, like, just one, his little jam clips on his Facebook page are incredible. Like, multi-instrumentalist, great kind of backbeat funk groove stuff with some really sweet synth solos. Oh, it's just like, yeah, like, definitely inspirational writing from... From a progression point of view and from a beats making point of view, I, I just love him. I think he's really, really great. And I, you know, he's he's had some great collabor- uh, collaborations with, or even some great shout outs from some pretty big international artists. So I just hope that that dude smashes it uh, in the next, uh, I suppose, in the launch phase of this release. I just hope he gets a lot of acclaim and he really gets some attention because he's working bloody hard. He's making good music. <laughs> Three absolutely top picks and thank you so much for your time and being so open and honest with all of my questions. Again, this is Michael Miko who's performing live on the 16th of September at the Cronulla RSL. Please go and check him out. You will love what you hear and keep on making amazing music. Fingers crossed we've got an album coming out sometime soon. You're working pretty hard. (laughs) Thanks, Mel. um, Yeah, fingers crossed. I'd love that. So, yeah, it's definitely on the agenda. I just don't know when. <laughs> Amazing. Well, have a good one and thanks again. Thanks, Mel. Appreciate it. And that was my chat with Michael Miko. I hope you enjoyed it. And again, if you hear this in time, make sure to go and catch him live at Cronulla RSL on the 16th of September 2017. And be sure, of course, to check out his tracks on SoundCloud linked below. Stay tuned via subscribing on iTunes and for more great interviews coming your way by searching Take One Backstage. We've got socials too at Take One FM on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And it's been my absolute pleasure to share this chat with you. And don't forget to keep supporting live music. You have been listening to Eastside Radio Podcast. For selections of more enjoyable content like this, visit our website, eastsidefm.org and click on podcasts.